Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi, everybody. From LAS Studios, I'm John Raby. Over more than 10 years and almost 600 episodes, Off-Ramp told the untold stories of LA's people and places. And you know what? Great stories never die. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, welcome to Off-Ramp. Pepe Aguilar, welcome to Off-Ramp. This is Betty White, and you're listening to Off-Ramp. We're looking into a bomb shelter. People really remember the Atomic Cafe. We say tomato. They say tomato. Knocks him cold with one punch. You're listening to Off-Ramp with John Raby. Whoa, 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 he's a Raby. It's nine years of me screaming at him till his hair flies off. You know, I mean, it's a lot. I never stopped doing mariachi. I never stopped being on this Mexican side of myself. Never. I have friends who ask me, why do I still live in South L.A.? You know, it's home. Thanks for joining me as we dip into the Off-Ramp archive and explore Southern California together on Off-Ramp. Hey everybody, John Raby here. Thank you so much for coming back to the Off-Ramp podcast. Glad you're here. This is a podcast about exploring Southern California, about coming to understand this place that we live. And anywhere you go, it's important to know what the place names mean. That gives you a richer sense of the history of the place. Like, did you know that America's first black professional poet was named Paul Lawrence Dunbar? So that's why there are so many... Dunbar libraries, Dunbar districts, Dunbar hotels, like in uh, Los Angeles. They were historically black neighborhoods that gave Paul Lawrence Dunbar his due by naming something after him. Here in Southern California, we have a largely different set of names. You know, MacArthur, Pershing, uh, those are pretty predictable. But also Pico, P-I-C-O. Where'd that come from? Off-Ramp contributor Chris Greenspan has the story, and this piece dates to 2015. We're in the crypt of ex-governor Pio Pico at the Homestead Museum in City of Industry. Pio Pico's wife, Maria Ignacia, is interred beside him, and he shares this space in the Walter P. Temple Memorial Mausoleum with two dozen other Angelinos. Even though Pio Pico was once one of the richest men in California, he's lucky to have this grave. Pio de Jesus Pico was born on May 5, 1801 at the Mission San Gabriel Archangel. California in this era had a tightly stratified caste system with indigenous people at the bottom, mestizos, Mexicans with European blood, in the middle, and Spanish rancheros at the top. Pico's mix of Spanish, African, Native American, and Italian blood gave him the potential to be a ranchero, according to historian Paul Brian Gray. And the elite became the elite because they were the descendants of the original soldiers sent to California in 1769. The way things worked was that if you had an ancestor who had done military service, or you did military service yourself, you would get a land grant. Pico's father, Jose Maria Pico, had been a sergeant in the Spanish army and was therefore eligible for land. But... 
The Catholic Church owned the vast majority of productive land in California. So there was an 1834 movement to secularize the missions, to give all the lands that the missions owned to citizens or Indians in California. And so a better way for Pico to acquire land, Gray says, was to support the movement. At that time, there was a governor appointed by Mexico who came up from Mexico City, whose name was Manuel Victoria. Victoria opposed secularization, and there was a revolt by the ranchero class in Southern California against him, and it was led by Pio Pico. Pico seized the governor's office for 20 days in 1831 until the Mexican government pushed him out. But he had shook loose the mission lands, and he and his brother bit off a big chunk to become two of California's major land tycoons. Historian Carolyn Christian. Did he have any enemies? Oh, for sure. Politics in California was very tumultuous at the time. And so, as you could tell by the fact that he became governor twice after overthrowing a governor. So, yes, lots of enemies. Um, Even uh, ones close to him, he married the niece of one of his enemies, uh, Governor Alvarado. Juan Batista Alvarado, whom Alvarado Street is named after, was governor of Alta California from 1836 to 1842. But when Alvarado was succeeded by Mexico's Manuel Michel Torena, the northern Alvarado and the southern Pico joined together to lead a ranchero rebellion that culminated in the Battle of La Providencia. On the banks of the Los Angeles River, the two armies approached each other. At long range for cannon, they halted, and the fierce fire of the five cannon began. After two days of this horrid warfare, one horse and one mule had been killed, and General Sutter and General Bidwell had been taken prisoner. The Herald newspaper. Governor Michel Torreno was overthrown, and Pico retook the governor's mansion, this time with Mexico's blessing. One year later, the United States declared the Mexican-American War, and Pio Pico wrote, What are we to do then? Shall we remain supine? while these daring strangers are overrunning our fertile plains and gradually outnumbering and displacing us? Shall these incursions go on unchecked until we become strangers in our own land? Pio de Jesus Pico. Pico fled to Mexico, but when Mexico ceded California and the rest of the Southwest to the U.S. in February 1848, he came back to Los Angeles and started again. During the California gold rush, he hit the mother load, selling beef to prospectors. So he was very highly revered. They actually asked him to come to the World's Fair in Chicago and talk about the Californios, Um, but he decided not to because he thought he would be sort of like a circus act. And um, later in his old age, got this sort of Santa Claus uh, reputation as being a kindly, friendly old gentleman. And he was sort of an anomaly this old, decrepit man who had once been the Mexican governor. Pico's resources dwindled swiftly in the 1880s. His Whittier ranch was damaged by floods. He gambled away as much as $25,000 on a single race. And his son and translator, Renolfo, was murdered for leaving a woman at the altar. He never bothered to learn English, so he couldn't read the deeds and mortgages and other documents given to him. 
And there was a lawyer by the name of Bernard Cohn um, who actually swindled a lot of the Californios out of their land. And he did it by presenting them with what they thought were loans. Of course, they didn't understand the documents, and they were actually signing over their ranchos. And even though Pio Pico paid him back, Bernard Cohn said, no, no, I just purchased your property. It went all the way to the California Supreme Court. And as a result, he lost all his land in Whittier and finally died in total poverty because of his negligence. Governor Pio Pico died on September 11, 1894, at 93 years old, and was eulogized in the Herald newspaper. Amid the solemnity of the sacred precincts of St. Vincent's Sanctuary, with burning incense, flickering candles, with the deep organ tones breathing forth a requiem to the soul of a departed spirit, all that was mortal of Don Pio Pico was borne forth to find its last resting place. Pico was buried at the original Calvary Cemetery, which is where Cathedral High School is now by Dodger Stadium. Many of the bodies were moved with Calvary Cemetery to East LA, but some fell through the cracks, which is why Cathedral calls their teams the Phantoms. Luckily, Pio Pico wasn't missed. He was reinterred here at the Workman Temple homestead on what was once called Rancho La Puente concluding his rags-to-riches-to-rags story as the quintessential Californian. For Off-Ramp, I'm Chris Greenspawn. That piece originally aired in 2015. This is Off-Ramp. From LAS Studios, I'm John Raby. Our theme music is from Fesslian Studios. I'll catch you next time on The Offering. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.